Well, it's spring break. We can kind of look around and see we're missing some people this morning. Plus, it snowed, and uh, it's just hard to get out. Just hard to get out sometimes. But thank you for being here. I think it is a divine appointment this morning for what I've got to minister to you about, what I believe the Lord has to say to you today. Will you all say with me, you have already said it, let's see, you said it, six, uh, you said it 12 times. Say, all things are possible. We can't, we can't say it enough. You, we, we come in here and we're up against every attack of the enemy and we feel like nothing's possible. But I want you to know all things are possible. Miss Tammy said, let's don't, redo that, let's don't redo that bridge. We need to get out of there. It's a long song. I'm like, no, we got to keep saying it. We got to keep saying it. We got to keep saying it. Not because it's fun to play, because it is. But because that word's got to get in. All things are possible. What are you facing? Are you facing disaster? I want you to know all things are possible. If you'll give it to God, you've got a way out. You've got a way out. All right, we, let's celebrate just a minute. We ministered to 38 families, 38 families in need at, at uh, Avery Trace. And I want you to know that this church gave abundantly above and beyond what we ever needed. And we have met a great need at Avery Trace. Can we give the Lord a hand clap for that? Miss Nancy already said that the administration already has stories to tell us about what kind of impact it's having on those families. I want you to know that, that the Lord reached those families. And they're getting up and eating some of that food this morning. And they can't help but think about some, something our Creator providing for them. And I'm excited. It's time, to, it's, it's time to celebrate a little bit, celebrate our victories, and draw together and help each other through our challenges. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, uh, let's, let's do the Baptist thing. Let's stand back up. Can you all, uh, there we go. Let's read this together. You all got your Bibles? Let's, uh, let's do that thing too. Let's open up our Bibles. You remember how to do that? It's that black thing or that brown thing or that red thing. It's got the red letters. Some of yours has red letters in it. And the red letters are significant. We're not going to go into that today, but they're significant. If, you, if, if you're in Matthew chapter 5 and you have red letters, this one's all full of red letters. Why? Because Jesus is talking, right? All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Um, Mikey, you handle this for me for just a minute. I'm going to read out of the New King James. I don't know what I've got up there, but I'm going to read mine out of the New King James. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Father, in Jesus' name, we acknowledge that this is the teaching of Jesus. And Lord, we come in here today, this snowy day, this uh, spring break day, Lord. And we come in here committed to you and committed to turn our hearts to you. 
And Lord, maybe we've come in here and we haven't totally made that commitment yet. Lord, I ask you to reach us today. That we open up our heart to your teaching this morning. Lord, I need your teaching. I need the truth. And Lord, we need the courage to walk the truth. Now help us, Holy Spirit. Help us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Big scripture. Big, big scripture. And you know, as, I, as we read this together, maybe you'd say, Pastor, I'm really not struggling with this. Well, I want you to know that sometimes Jesus' teaching is not for you right now, it's for you tomorrow. Or it's for you when you get to work and you run into somebody that's battling this. Why? So that you can be educated and be prepared to handle what challenges come. Sometimes the challenges are in your own life, sometimes the challenges are in your people around you. So that you can help them. So if you would, maybe you're struggling with this, maybe you're not. But let's open up our heart. Now right at the very beginning, if you've still got your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 27, it says, you have heard. Right? You've heard it said. He's saying, Jesus is saying, you know, you remember the Ten Commandments. You remember those. But Jesus is saying, let me take it a step farther. That if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Now, what have we learned through the eight Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, the first part? What's Jesus dealing with? Our heart. What's he doing here? He's now saying, let's go into the heart. I want to do heart surgery on you. Because the sin starts in the heart. Those that commit adultery, immorality was working in their heart long before the physical act of adultery took place. The problem is in your heart. Jesus is not trying to give you a quick fix. He's trying to give you a real fix. He's trying to really heal you. Jesus continues radically that if your right eye causes you to sin, to pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable... For one of your, that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And you know, if, if your right eye causes you to sin related to immorality, pluck it out. Now Jesus is not talking about physical mutilation. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about self-denial. Say self-denial. Let me tell you something. You can do that. You can say no, and no is a good word. There is a time to say no. People today teach us to not tell our kids no. Well, that's stupid. There is times to say no. Can I stick my hand on the stove? No. Can I smoke a cigarette? No. Can I play in the street? No. No's good. No is because I love you. And I want to protect you. Not because I'm trying to keep you from something great. No. God sometimes says no. Should we go and take on this enemy? And God would say no. You need to go prepare your heart right. Get your heart right. And then we'll go take on that enemy. Then he says yes. But what's he talking about? Spiritual self-denial. He's saying be radical in your life choices even though you have to deny yourself in doing so. 
Now, in context, Jesus is calling his disciples to the importance of resisting the spirit of immorality. You remember last week, it was the spirit of anger. These things are spirit. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against strong powers. And this thing is a spirit, the spirit of immorality. Not waiting until the physical adultery is present in our life. Because long before that, this spirit has been working in our hearts. But you know what the Pharisees taught? The Pharisees taught that it wasn't a problem until the physical act came into play. Right? As long as you avoided the physical act, you were okay. But you know what? They were unaware of the sickness that they had. And they weren't addressing it. And the sickness was growing in them. And it was injuring and defiling them. But you know what? They didn't know it. Why did Jesus come? To let them know it. Hear me, church. Jesus here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30 is all about love. It is not about religious restrictions. It's not about guidelines. It's not about rules. It's about love. Jesus is speaking directly from his heart. He's talking about love and liberty in the spirit and how to walk in it. Don't forget that earlier in the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart. Do you know what Jesus is saying? I've just given you these Beatitudes. Now here's one way to be pure in heart. I love when a teacher not only tells you the rule or the guideline, but then gives you the instruction of how to walk through it. Have you ever been given a task, but you got no direction on how to fulfill that task? And you go down that task and you do it this way, and your boss is like, I didn't want you to do it that way. You need to do it this way. Well, why didn't you tell me that at the beginning? Well, Jesus is still in the same sermon, be pure in heart. And then he's saying, here's how to be pure in heart. I'm going to show you the things that come at you that try to get you. Remember, we're talking about the weeds that want to choke our flowers. What are our flowers? Our eight flowers are the Beatitudes. They're the things that we are going to be blessed because of, right? And here comes the spirit of immorality. He's not talking about strict, religious, rigid standards. He's talking about love. He's saying this is how to be pure in heart. You know what being pure in heart is? It's keeping the impurities out and keeping the purities in. We need the purity in. Jesus is saying if you're lusting after someone, you're already entrenched in this spirit of immorality. And it's defiling you. And, and, and you've got a problem because you don't realize you've got a problem. You're not addressing it because you don't think it's a problem. Because you haven't made it to the physical act of adultery. So Jesus is saying, you've got to watch what you're allowing in. And you know, one of the main ways that we allow information in is what I want to call the eye gate. Have you ever heard that expression, the eye gate? A lot of the things that get into my mind come into my mind through my eyes. And I've got a gate here of what I'm going to let in and what I'm not going to let in. And the eye gate is the key. You overcome immorality by addressing the eye gate because the eye gate is an entry point into your heart. And Jesus is saying, you can't be passive about it. You have to deal with it in a radical way. You won't wake up tomorrow and it's gone. 
You won't wake up one day and find that that spiritual cancer has just disappeared. You've got to be intentional. You've got to be radical. You've got to make radical choices that will remove the spirit of lust, the spirit of immorality. You've got to remove it. You've got to pull that weed. You've got, you can't break it off at the top. You've got to get it from the root. Jesus is trying to get the root. You've got to make radical choices, sometimes that are precious to you. Plucking out the right eye, cutting off the right hand. And if that's not enough, Jesus goes on to say that getting free from immorality is connected to your eternal judgment. What does he say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30? He talks about going to hell. Now that doesn't preach very well anymore, does it? Preachers don't preach like that anymore, do they? It's like we've kind of moved away from that. It's not really our motivation anymore. It's not really politically correct. But Jesus preached about it. Jesus said, you go down this road, this is a pathway to hell. And do you think Jesus knew about hell? Of course he did. He created it. Now listen to me. Jesus is telling us where this will take us. Now, if someone told you that if you did X, if you did this, that you, you would get a million dollars, wouldn't you do it? If you did this, you would have a successful marriage. I read a book called, um, I read a book, it was, it was seven steps to something that I was wanting to do. And I was hoping it was a systematic approach to success. Because if you give me a systematic approach, I will fulfill that to the T. But it wasn't systematic. It was all about the heart. And I'm like, oh, no, no. Somebody give me ABCs and I'll fulfill that. Man, do, I, do, do we have a tendency sometimes to be legalistic? Yes. But God's not legalistic. He wants your heart. Get the heart right. And to be honest with you, when your heart right, heart's right, it's a lot easier than a legalistic approach. Man, are y'all here? Lord, let the caffeine kick in. So, the big debate. What is immorality? Let me get going. I'm kind of falling behind here. What's immorality? And young people, y'all may not be here yet. That's okay. You will be. People that aren't married yet, my college group, you may not be here yet, but it's coming. It's coming. Adults, you may not be fighting this just yet, but let me tell you, we all go through seasons. We all go through seasons, and it says it's going to rain every now and then. We got to know how to deal with the rain. So let's go. Okay, what's immorality? Immorality includes all sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. Immorality includes all sexual activity, whether physical, touching someone in a sexual way, verbal, talking sexually in an inappropriate way, or even the realm of technology. And let me tell you, it is everywhere we go. You cannot get away from it. I was playing uh, uh, a silly game on, um, on uh, this iPad, on my iPhone, with my child. It's called Draw Something, where you draw something, you try to guess what it is, and then I draw something. 
Sure enough, they put an ad on there for a rated R movie. Like, I want to shoot somebody. My child's playing this. Something that when you read on the download, it says four plus. Anybody know what that means? Y'all ever scan to see what, what the rating is on the app? Sarah Beck goes, can I get this app? Four plus, yes. Well, it's not four plus. The game is four plus, but the, but the advertisements aren't. It's everywhere. And I don't, you, you may think your kids are protected from it. They're not. Unless you live in a hole. What's immorality? Sexual activity in these ways outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. Now I'm going to touch on something just a little bit sensitive here, but just hang in there with me because I will support it. Young people, sometimes even adults will ask, how far can we go? How far? You can't go anywhere sexually until you're married. And I want to back it up. Okay, hey, that sounds pretty tough. It sounds pretty rigid, a little strict. No, because of love. This is because of love. Jesus wants us to experience him, to walk in loyal love to him and to our partner in the highest way we can. Now, let me back it up. Hang in there with me. Why is Jesus so adamant about immorality? Not because of strictness, because of his zeal for love. And he knows that if we're involved in immorality, you know what we're doing? We're giving Satan the legal right to our heart. Now, did you hear that? We give Satan the legal right to oppress and damage our lives. It's as though Satan is at the door of your house knocking, trying to get in. He wants in in any way that he can get in. But the only way that he can get in to a spirit-filled, blood-bought believer is if we open the door. That's the only way. He cannot come in unless we let him in. And one way we let him in is through a spirit of immorality. Everybody say amen. Jesus is saying if you walk in immorality, though you can get a bunch of people to back you up and to support what you're doing, you're giving the key to the one who can torment your life. Why even do it a little? Keep him out. He will damage and oppress your heart. He will injure your, you. He will injure your ability to experience God. Now the Lord sets all sexual expression within the covenant of marriage. And it's a very important point. We kind of understand it, but let me tell you, God really knows it. Because he knows the only place where sexual activity will enrich your life is in the context of lifelong marriage. Now let me support that. Now, I'm going to talk to the guys for just a minute. Girls, this includes you too, but just for the time's sake, guys. You know, you start dating and, and uh, you know, things start moving along and you start thinking, man, I, I love her. She's the one for me and I want to take this a little bit farther. Scripture says, no, not until you make a lifelong commitment to her, to her, to her story to her future, to her past, to everything about her. I mean, when you, you, you'll engage with her story in the past, 
the good and the bad, with her story in the future, her pains, her weaknesses, her strengths, her victories, her joys, the things in decades to come that are exciting, that are boring, that you understand, the things you don't understand. You become connected to her family, to her parents, to her siblings. You become connected. He says, only in that kind of commitment will sexual activity enrich you. You need that covenant for longevity, where you willingly participate in her story in all facets, the good and the bad, her family, her dreams, her fears. You get the whole package. In that context, sexual activity will enrich you. But outside of that context, it will injure you and it will injure her in ways that you would never believe. Let's go back to the eye gate, the entry point. Job 31.1. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. You know, it doesn't say that Jesus comes and just removes it from you. It says, I've got to make a choice. Now, the Lord has given us everything for us to be successful, but we have to engage his word. We have to engage his promise. We have to engage his uh, salvation. It's there. The table is set. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, but he doesn't eat for us. We got to go eat. We've got to go fight the battle. Sometimes we show up and the battle's already won, but every time the, the children of Israel always still had to go. Sometimes they'd show up and the enemy's already dead. Sometimes they'd show up and they'd have to fight them. But they always won. But they always had to go. God didn't say, just stay in your bed, stay there. I'll go take care of everything and everything will go great. Nope, get up out of bed. Go do some warring. Go do some fighting. Make a covenant with your eyes not to look lustfully. I won't look upon anything that stirs up, my, stirs up lust in my heart. Verse 28 says, you have a passive, pervasive problem that is already working in you long before you touch anyone, but you can correct it. There is a treatable solution, and you've got to put the attention on the eye gate. Don't ignore the eye gate and expect this cancer to go away on its own. Look what David said in Psalm 101, verse 2. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart, and I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. It's a big statement. I want you to catch something right here. I will walk within my house. I don't know if you've ever caught the significance of this, of this part. But do you know the house, our house is the place that we have the most familiarity and the most privacy. When we get out here in public, when we come in here to church, when we go to our job, we can put on a happy face. We can act like we got it all together. Right? But we're not the same person in the home. We let our guard down. We are who we are. Right? David's not saying, out in the assembly, out in front of all the subjects, out in my job will I hold everything together. No, in my house. In my house. In my house. In my house where no one can see, I am the most unguarded and most familiar. 
I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Nothing. Lord, I commit to you. This is a commitment he is making to God. Now we've got to come back and recognize that the eye gate is the key and we have to respond. David was a man after God's own heart, but David had to walk in his house making conscious decisions and he had everything at his disposal. Do you remember when he sinned greatly because of Bathsheba? How did that sin begin? Number one, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be at war, and he didn't go. Then he just decided he'd walk around up on his roof, and he looked down and saw a woman, and he lusted in his heart. And that led to adultery. That led to murder. That led to a cover-up. It eventually led to death in his family. It was bad. It was bad. Through the eye gate. This thing's not going to go away by itself. You've got to make a decision. Verse 29, let's go back. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it out from you. It's better than going to hell. Verse 30, if your right hand causes you to sin, cast it off. Cut it off and cast it from you. It's better than going to hell. Again, it's not popular motivation to preach about going to hell. That's how Jesus taught it. Now, the eye and the hand are symbols that are most precious to us and most useful in a person's life. Take the eye for a moment. If someone asks you, you're going to have to lose a member of your body, for the most part, your eye would be one of the last things you would do. Your eyes are precious to you. Very dear to you. And what he's saying is, you've got to remove those things that are that precious to you. You've got to be willing to give something up that is so close to your heart. But then if we look at the hand, back in this day that this was written, the hand was a symbol of the workforce. It was the way men made money. So the hand relates to those things that increase economics. And he's saying, I want you to understand that if it comes to removing something precious, I'm not talking about your physical eye, but something as precious as your eyes. If it comes to that, then move it. Move that, if maybe it's a person, move that person out of your life. Get out of that adulterous situation. Even if it hits you financially, even if you're in a job that you can't get away from it, I'm not telling you to go quit your job, but I am telling you, you've got to remove the things that are leading you down this road, no matter the cost. Man, are y'all still with me? Father, help us. Your eternal destiny is more important than a well-paying job. Your family, your family is more important than a well-paying job. We give up precious things in our life because of this spirit. The danger of lust is that it grows and it's unbiased. It doesn't care who you are, even the most undignified person, the most dignified person, most intelligent, triple PhD at Harvard, head of the space department, world banking system, most personal, powerful personality with the strongest mind. Lust will hold them captive with no bias. You know how Paul 
urges, Paul urges us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to flee, to flee sexual immorality. Flee like your life is in the balance. Imagine you're in the park. Imagine you, uh, you're, um, you're in San Diego and you're in the park over next to the zoo and, the, and a lion gets out and you're eating lunch. What would you do? Would you not run for your life? If you were smart, you would. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you would sit there, keep eating your lunch and think, well, maybe he'll come over and join me. He's kind of neat looking. Yeah, he would come join your lunch. You would be lunch. You know that First Peter talks about Satan comparing him to a devouring lion. You know, a lion has no reasoning and no mercy. He will destroy you. Satan has no mercy. Not only that, he wants you. He wants to feast on you. You have got to flee. People don't flee from immorality. They kind of avoid it occasionally. He says, don't avoid it. Run for your life. Run from, for your life from immorality. And he gives a reason. And I'm going to close with this. I'm almost done. And it's a reason that surprises us. If you've got your Bibles, um, uh, I want you to turn to two scriptures and kind of uh, mark one. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and Romans chapter 1, verse 24. If you can, go ahead and get to those, both, both of those passages. Because he's going to tell you why you should run for your life. It's more than just avoiding this party. It's more than just turning off the internet or not speaking to a woman in a sexual way. Maybe not touching them. Maybe not going to see the movies. Flee for it like you're running for your life. It's not a game. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Now, this, this is very deep, church. Every sin a man does is outside the body, but this sin is inside the body. Now, would y'all think we need to know a little bit more about that? Okay, flip, flip with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 24. When a man steals money, that sin is outside the body. But he who commits adultery sins against his own body. And let me tell you, this is a very unusual concept. Romans chapter 1 shows us that and he develops what he means by sinning against your own body by immorality. Verse 24. Very sobering, but this is pretty terrifying uh, scripture. 24. Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural, relation, natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Verse 27, in the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received themselves the due penalty 
for their error. Verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so they may do what ought not to be done. You go back to verse 24, one translation says, God gave them up to uncleanliness. You're going to see it three times in Romans chapter 24 verse, through verse 28 that God gave them up. It said at the beginning, God gave them up. In the middle, God gave them up. In the, in the end, God gave them up. He's giving them up at each time to greater measure, in a greater way. He's giving them up to greater perversion. But do you know at first he's saying, Will you please repent? And they say, no. So he gives them up to a greater sphere of perversion. Then he goes on and says, will you stop? They say, no. And he gives them up to a final sphere of uh, perversion. And so this follows. And what he's talking about here is immorality. They wouldn't repent of it. Church, this is life and death. Do you see it? If they would repent, they would be completely forgiven. They would begin to experience deliverance. If they don't, it says that they start to receive these things in their body. What's he saying? That they st- it starts to penetrate their soul and their spirit and their physical body. Do you know sexual immorality will lead to physical problems? They will lead to disease that you can never get rid of. One little mistake can follow you the rest of your life. But within the realm of godly relationship in the realm of marriage, it is completely safe. And wonderful. Man, can we get this? Paul's saying when he says they're sinning against their body that they're opening the door. Do you see this? Is it still up there? Where does it say it? Let's go back. The due penalty. The due penalty. Let me go back. The penalty increases if they don't repent. They open the door for the penalty to begin to operate inside their body, inside their soul and spirit. If they don't repent, it gets worse and worse. And what does it lead to? It leads to a depraved mind. What does that mean? It means it is going to ruin your mind. You know what depraved means? It means corrupt. It means wicked. I'll end here with this scripture. James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, prevalent, and humbly accept the planted word in you, which can save you. Church, you have a part in this. You have to walk. You have to do. Get rid of all the moral filth. We can pray, Lord, just make sure it's all gone when I get up in the morning. Jesus says, no, you get rid of it. I've given you the power to overcome this, but you have to get rid of it. 
Get rid of all moral filth. Get rid of it. What does it say? That it will heal your soul. It can save you. Lay aside all filthiness. Jesus won't decide this for you. You have to say no to immorality at the eyes, at the heart. And it may require cutting off the hand and plucking out the eye, those cherished and even costly financial decisions that you make. But you know what? You'll make them. I want you to know, let me, let me, uh, let me close. As, as I close, last week the spirit of anger, it, it, it is the, it's, the, it's the most amazing thing as a pastor that I've ever experienced in the eight years that I've been pastoring. Is it stirred you up so much that you started acting on it. I have never seen that in my eight years pastoring. Now, do I have a church that loves the Lord? Of course. Do we try to walk this out? But I started seeing the fruit. People started calling me. People even people were calling me, telling me what was going on. People called me to deal with me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And let me tell you, it was good. Working in my wife, working in my family, working in my church. Let me tell you, if we do God's word, God's going to move. God's going to move. Now, we've got the same thing sitting in front of us today. And uh, ladies, I'm going to let my wife talk to you sometime. But men, we've got to remove it. I had a friend of mine. We've got... uh, cable in our house and it's cheaper to get all the movie channels than it is to not have the movie channels how stupid is that every time I go in there I want a deal I want a deal well you got to get this package I don't want that package I want less I want less channels well you got to get this package this is where the promotion is well I don't want that I don't want those channels we don't want HBO and Cinemax and all this why because it's right there in our face it's too tempting God's not saying it's not a temptation. It is. God's not saying your flesh is not going to kind of want it because we live in a fallen world. God says, I know it's there. You've got to remove it. You've got to remove those little Debbies. You've got to remove those. uh... No. What's the time of year? Girl Scout cookies. The way we remove them is we just eat them as fast as we can. Then they're gone. I'm not kidding. I wish I was kidding. I wish I could handle that temptation. I can't. I go for the Samoas and I just keep. Okay, they're gone. Okay, I can be pure again. But the Lord's saying, no. You got to get rid of it. You gotta clean it out. And Elizabeth and I both made a decision. Let me tell you, it came up again. Those channels, we gotta get those channels. I'm like, we won't watch them, we'll block the channels, but we gotta get the channels to get the price. No. Good. No. She says no a lot more than I do. And let me tell you, I need my wife to keep me on the straight path. Let me tell you, I do. Husbands, listen to your wives. Wives, you're not their Holy Spirit, but be there to help them. Not to yell at them. Help them. I heard a couple men say amen. All right. (laughs) We need help. And it's going to take you both. What are you going to do, church? 
You know what he says? Get that stuff out, and that's not enough. We've got to humbly accept the word planted in you. It's not enough to remove the stuff. Why? Because if you don't have the word, that stuff will wind up at your doorstep again, and you won't be able to resist it. What we do is we resist, we remove certain things out of our heart, and we replace it with the right things. And you know, humbly accepting the word planted in you, it's not just a Bible study. It's not just Sunday school. It is making the word personal to you. Personal. It changes your life. It changes your thinking. It changes the way you walk. You've got to get in the word, the seed planted in you. Church, get radical. I want to ask you a question. How is immorality coming in on your life? Shut it off. Shut it down. And accept the planted word that is in you, which can save you. If y'all just bow your heads with me, you may be here today and you may say, Pastor, I've already ate the apple. I've already gone too far. Or pastor, I've gone so far in my mind and I'm about to make this step. I want you to know it is not too late. The Lord is giving you an opportunity today to repent. Stop walking in that direction. Stop. Turn around and walk back to the cross. Go home and clean out your heart and start to fill it back up with his word and start to pray for redemption, for salvation. Do you know that, that the Lord wants to do heart surgery, that your heart is black, but it's not um, unhealable. He can make that heart nice and red and plump and juicy just like it used to be. But you've got to stop. Would you stop? Stand up with me if you would. We're going to take communion. And we're just going to do this all together. I want to pray first before we do. Ushers, y'all come on down. and Before you start serving, I want to pray. Just line up here with me, ushers, if y'all don't mind. Or however y'all do, it's fine. Father, in Jesus' name, I just break any spirit of immorality that may be over this church, over our body, over our people, especially over the men. Father, in Jesus' name, we submit and we come under your authority and under your word, and we believe that this is your word that we heard today, and that it's a power that we can't fight on our own, and we're not supposed to fight on our own. But in Jesus' name, let us make the right step now. We renew our covenant with you right now, Jesus. And part of that covenant is that we don't let our heart go to the wrong place. This covenant is not just taking this juice and this bread and going home and thinking we feel good about ourselves. No, this covenant is about us changing. We receive your word today. I ask right now, Lord, that we would turn our hearts. Y'all go ahead. I just ask you just as, if y'all don't mind, have a seat for just a second until they serve you. Once you've been served, you can stand back up.
makes it easier for these men to serve you with you sitting down. But I ask you right now to begin to pray, to ask the Lord where this door is open in your life. And as they're passing these out, I want to ask you, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you made that commitment? Well, right now is the perfect time. Right where you sit, right where you stand, would you make that choice just to say, Jesus, I choose you. In my heart, I turn my life over to you. I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Save me, Jesus. Would you do that? If you don't mind, once you get served, stand back up with us. We're going to make a declaration. We're going to make a, a commitment. Thank you. Thank you. Pastor Justin just said, you know, I think this is a good opportunity. Maybe you need to go through your contacts and delete some of your contacts. Delete some of the people that you're communicating with, that it's wrong. You know it's wrong. Put an end to it now. Cut the oxygen off to this sin. I lay my burdens at your feet, now I walk with you, Lord. Will you all just pray with me? Will you just trust me enough just to pray with me? Just repeat after me. Father, in Jesus' name, we renew our covenant with you, Jesus. 
we thank you for the broken body that was broken for me. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of our sin. Lord Jesus, we repent today of any spirit of immorality. We give you permission to show us where we're messing up. Help us to turn. We are committed to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take our elements. We're going to open the altar up to prayer. If you've got a prayer need, we want to pray with you. We're almost done, so don't check out on me yet. But I want you to know we've just prayed a very powerful prayer. I believe we've prayed according to God's Word. We've asked according to God's Word and His will. He's promised us that He will do it. Now, the thing we've got to do is we've got to start walking. We've got to start removing. It's not done. We now have to walk out of here. We've now got to go face our computer again and our phones and our co-workers and our spouses and our lives. Put all filth, flee all sexual immorality. Run from it. And let's let God start to bring some healing into our life. Amen. If you need prayer, those praying with me, come on down. We're going to sing just for another moment. Then I'm going to bless you. Just ask you, please be sensitive. People need prayer. Thank you. Whatever prayer need you may have, please come down. Let us pray with you.